Offside with Andrew Gunley and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Uh, it's snowing again, so let's get the weather chat out of the way quickly. Snow, lots of it. Uh, staring out my window here in Brooklyn. It's quite picturesque. Um, Champions League Thursday pod, though. Huh? This is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. First legs, knockout stage. It was... Yeah. Uh, Man, it was this was it was around this time last year when like we were on the cusp. Remember, like half of the first legs had been played in the round of sixteen, and then the other half kind of got left behind in what was about to occur. This was like that weird time. The last the last days of the before times. Yes, yeah, it really felt that way. Yeah, uh, yeah, we're gonna go through these games. the The first set of first legs from the knockout stage of the round of sixteen. We've got a nice mailbag. You sent me uh, the mailbag earlier, so I have had a chance to look it over, and there, some of them are 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 interesting. Some tasty uh, ones in there, yeah, including the the a coming together of referee and player which I'll be curious to get your thoughts on. Yes, uh, in, in League One, there was an incident uh, that we need to talk about where the aggressor was not the player this time. Yeah. Although, we, 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 we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, also, join me tomorrow on our Friday chat on Instagram, Caught Offside ESPN. Please join me. How's that going, by the way? It's good. It's fun. The people who log on have great questions, but it's not an opportune time. It's the middle of the work day. Um, I don't think it suits... I, I'm curious why you've chosen that time, I guess, is, um, is the big question. I, I don't know. It just suits me. You're I'm unemployed, aren't you? And you've just, you're living a lie and you continue to tell me, oh, work was, was stressful today. You know, that, that nine to five grind. Can I, can, can I actually talk about someone who is employed now and is the reason why I'm wearing a Luton Town 1982 jersey? Um, our friend at Blades Analytic, Jay Sochik, has got a job as head of data at Luton Town. Data and nice. recruitment. That's Luton. great. Yeah, it's amazing. It's huge. Um, and he joined us last year to talk about uh, Sheffield United. So. It never ceases to amaze me how many jerseys you own. Like, I, I feel uncomfortable buying jerseys of teams that I don't support. Yeah. Well, I'm not, it's not like I'm, I'm sat here in a 1986 Manchester United jersey. You know, with no, but I, I mean, I, I wouldn't buy, you know, like even teams that aren't rivals. Like I wouldn't buy an Atlanta Hawks jersey. I don't know. I like jerseys, though. So that's it. I and just this feel one... weird if like somebody in the street walked up to you and was like, yeah, Luton, come on, Luton. And you got to like, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm not really a fan. Or you say you fake it. Like, I don't I don't know. I can't. Yeah, those, but I... those coming together, I want no part of. Yeah, I was outside, uh, I think it was Liam Gallagher or uh, Noel Gallagher, I can't remember, at Terminal 5 in the before times, a couple of years ago. Uh -huh. And I, I do things like this. I saw a guy wearing a West Ham United hat from across the street. And I just, for, for the fun of it, just to get his reaction, I went, you irons, straight across the street. And he's just looking around to see who did it. So, like, I'm weird like that. I love football. Like, I, Liverpool are the team I support and and, and you know, like, don't, do you remember, JJ? I think you were with me. We were leaving the studio once after we had just recorded a podcast. It was kind of late at night, and we had just walked outside. And as we're walking down the street, there was a guy in a Tottenham hat walking up the street, remember? Yeah. And you were like, oh, Andrew, Tottenham. And I was like, oh, come on, you Spurs. And he was he looked at me like he had no idea what I was talking about. I said, your hat. You're a Tottenham <laughs> fan? Me too. He's like, oh, no, I'm not. 
That's right. And then that was it. Like, and we just walked away. It's like, oh, that, I don't know. That just left me feeling very empty. Inside. Yeah. People who wear sports apparel and have no idea what they're wearing. Like the time I was at the last story about this, at the, I was at the Statue of Liberty and there's a guy from, um, there's a guy from Boston and he's a tourist. And uh, for some reason he asked me, he asked me to take a picture. I think that's how we got talking. And he goes, uh, I said, you're from Boston. And he goes, yeah, yeah, Boston, big Red Sox fan. And he points to the hat and he goes, I actually got this in New York. And I'm like, Excuse me, sir. That's a that's a Dodgers B. That's a Brooklyn Dodgers B. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> and just embarrassing silence because I have an accent. I shouldn't you say that to him. You no, corrected I. Him? Oh, I corrected him. I, oh, I said, yeah. I said I wouldn't go back to Boston saying that you got this great Red Sox hat in New York. That's that's a Dodgers hat. And it was just this awkward silence. There was nothing. There was no place to go. He had been completely humiliated. He didn't oh, know how emasculated. to respond. Oh, <laughs> there's nowhere to go with that. You, you just you just wish him a good day and you walk off because yeah. he's fraudulent. He doesn't know his onions. A complete and utter fraud. That can't, is can't have it. Oh, I'm wow. a big Red Sox fan. Are you? Yeah. So what does that have to do with the Brooklyn Dodgers hat that you're wearing? <laughs> Oh, all right. Let's get into it now, because there's a lot to talk about uh, from these first legs. I, I want to start with what was definitely, at least for me, the marquee match of the week. And that was Barcelona and PSG 4-1. JJ, it goes to the Parisians. Um, I, I wanted to start with this. Uh, the idea as to whether or not this result was surprising. And before you give your answer, I'm just going to mm. read something to you. Okay. Now, this was prior to the games happening. So I believe that this was put out on either Tuesday morning or, or Monday afternoon. And this was uh, the percentage chances that each club was being given to win this competition by okay. 538. Um, a and the overwhelming favorite, when, you, when I go through this, you'll see overwhelming favorite, 37% chance to win the Champions League, Manchester City. Mm. Second with a 13% chance of winning the Champions League, was Barcelona. Yeah. Followed 11% chance Bayern, then 7% Liverpool, 6% Real Madrid, 5% for both Chelsea and Juve, and then a 3% chance for Atletico Madrid and Borussia Dortmund. Those were the only ones listed. I know there okay. are Porto fans, and Leipzig. You know, they'll feel a little bit aggrieved by not even being mentioned, but that was the, those were the only clubs that were listed, 3% and above. But Barcelona was your number two to win this competition at 13%. Yeah. Um, I suppose, should we be surprised anymore at the ritual humiliation of Barcelona in the knockout stage of the Champions League? Uh, I think that the prevailing thought after the game was, particularly if you watch the CBS coverage, oh, well, Barcelona, we shouldn't be too surprised. Barcelona haven't won against any big team of late. You know, they constantly lose in games. I mean, when was their last big win over a big side was probably in the Champions League against Napoli last season, last summer. Um, but but I, I wouldn't focus on that so much. This is like a, a decline and, and we've got evidence of it. So there's 2018, there's the Roma four-goal comeback. 2019, the Klopp remontada. And then last season, we had the Bayern 8, Barcelona, Barcelona 2. So like I said, this is, this is a pattern. The only difference really now is that it's come against PSG in an earlier round. It's the round of 16 as opposed to the semifinals. And really, you could even go back further. I mean, the year before that even, remember, they had the miracle against PSG in the round of 16. Yeah. But then 
kind of got smashed by Juve in the quarterfinals. They lost 3-0 on aggregate. All three goals. It was 3-0 after the first leg and then it 0-0 in the second. So yeah. they kind of went out meekly that year too. So you're right. They're their Champions League failures, they've put together like a fairly sizable recent history of coming up short in this competition. They 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 definitely have. Now, I mean, the first half, you I don't think you I think if you watched the first half, you thought this is a team that's still in it very much, albeit that they were giving up chances. But um, we had a moment, Andrew. I, I want to bring your mind back to the the first leg of the 2019 semifinal, Liverpool versus Barcelona, where Barcelona are leading 3-0 and a chance falls to Usman Dembele. Mm-hmm. And he whiffs on it. And I remember the glare that Messi shot at him afterwards. Correct. Now, at 1-0 up, Dembele has a chance on 28 minutes to make it 2-0, and he, he did the exact same thing, and he caught the glare again. You wonder how this game would have gone if Barcelona have two first-half goals. I still think PSG would have run away with it, by the way, would not run away with it, but would have won it by the way the, the second half played out and by the problems Barcelona were experiencing defensively even in the first half, but, but still... Um, yeah, what you bring up about Usman Dembele, I was thinking about that I was as I was watching this, and specifically with the idea of like I thought Messi still played like Messi. Like to me, he still looks like him. Um, you know, it, it, the ball that he played in to help draw the penalty, um, the chances that he kind of creates still seemingly from nothing. The way he sets up other players like Dembele in that situation. But what has changed? for me is this it's all it's the supporting cast like you see what Luis Suarez is doing right now at at Atletico Madrid and you think about that and then Mm. you think about Messi playing a ball to Dembele who whiffs on it in a key Champions League moment and you just think that they have in in many respects they have failed Messi in those that they have put around him yeah I, I think so there's also a little bit of um you know, decline. Like, let's, for example, take a look. Bush gets taken off before the end of the game. Um, Gerard Piquet, the decision to start Gerard Piquet or to... I feels like he was rushed back from injury considering the, the diagnosis was... Go- or the prognosis was much longer than this. It was, a, it was a surprise to have him back. And he starts in a game on the same side. I mean, the Dest Piquet side was a problematic side. Mm-hmm. Not just because... For two reasons, really. First of all, that's the side that Dembele is on. And, you know, on more than one occasion, we saw Dest completely left alone. Um, there was, I think it was on the, the equalizer. On the switch for the equalizer, Dest tucks in to Mark, which is the right thing to do. And Dembele is in no man's land. Doesn't read the danger and doesn't see Maro Icardi. Um, so Dest had no help there. Dest is coming back from an injury. PK is coming back from four months out. Like, did Kuman have no other option but to play those two together on the same side as a guy who's not coming back? It's a great point. Um, and especially against this opposition, yeah, that are just so lethal in attack. And let's talk a little bit about them because, really, I mean, we're, we're talking about Barcelona, but it's that's not the story of this game. The story of this game is Kylian Mbappe and just how great this guy is. And I, I hate saying this, um, but I feel like sometimes we just forget. You know, he's playing in league on and it's just a league that we don't other Watch. than the champions league. We just don't focus much on it. No, uh, but he's, because it seems like, like we see in these moments, he's incredible. 
Yeah. And, but but I, I think there's a couple of things come together. It's not just that there's a, there's a blanket thrown over Lee Gunn and we don't really pay much attention to it. That is part of it. Another part of it is that I was listening to Philippe Claire on the Guardian uh, football podcast and he was talking about how it wasn't great for Mbappe under Thomas Tuchel. There was a kind of a disconnect between the two of them and 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 things weren't 100%. There's also the fact he's he's 20 he's only 22. He's a World Cup winner, Champions League finalist. He has what 154 career goals before the age of 23. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's mesmerizing what he's done. Um and also his form leading into this game. Uh this is just from early January um uh from goal. Uh, Mbappe did, however, draw a blank as Pochettino's first game at the helm ended in a 1-1 draw with San Etienne, and his new manager admits that more is expected of the front man. Killian needs to improve like everybody else, Pochettino said of Mbappe, who has been linked with a move elsewhere. He should feel disappointed as we did not win, and he can always do better. However, his attitude was good. So, you know... Interesting. Yeah, he's not... It's two things. We don't watch the league enough... (laughs) That's the facts of it. He's not front and center. And it was the same charge that was was uh, leveled at Neymar. If you go there, people are going to only get to see you in the Champions League mostly. And you better play in the Champions League. And he has not. How much has that colored our view of, of Neymar's career over the past few years? Um, and, and also the other fact that he has, you know, the, the churn of managers at, at PSG has left him maybe not uh, in the most outstanding form. But last, this week was a, a reminder. Yeah. Of just how amazing a player he is. I think you really touched on what it is, though. And, and that is when you go to PSG and, and you, know, you choose to make that your club, um, like it just alters expectations in a way that anything good that you do, it's just like it's kind of just to be expected. Like you almost don't give these guys the praise that maybe they deserve because they're at the dominant club in a league that, you know, rarely challenges them. So it's just like, well, of course Mbappe should be doing this. Look where he is. Um, you know, if he was doing this in another league, it would be, even if it was a league that we don't necessarily focus on as much as the Premier League, it would be a huge deal. Yeah. Um, to put it in perspective, Ronaldo, uh, before the age of 23, had 102 goals. Messi had 140. And like you said, Mbappe has 154. So, and, and you know, we're talking about the quality of competition. So there are going to be people who see that and kind of like say, ah, yeah, but that, that's, you know, that's an inflated number. Well, I did see this, this, some guy on Twitter. I don't really know who he is. A man on Twitter. Yeah. A man on Twitter named Stuart Flaherty. Uh, He kind of got out a little bit ahead of this. And he said for the quote unquote level of competition folk uh, in world cup goals, Mbappe leads four to one. I think he's just comparing Mbappe to Messi. And in Champions League goals, Messi leads 25 to 24, a lead that Mbappe will doubtless uh, doubtless pass this month with games still to play. But I, but I I would I would like to say that we should I mean we are creatures of habit in sports media so we always like to compare things, talk about who's the goal, but let's just take it on its merits. Look at his quick feet for the equalizer. That you know, he has the deafness of touch, he has the skill, he has the intelligence, he has the power, he has the pace, he has the everything. And look at the way he took the third goal. I loved it. It was absolute or the fourth goal, rather, it was absolutely yeah. beautiful and His nonchalant. Yeah. Like he put it exactly where he wanted to put it. So, you know, the comparison's fine, but I By the I, I way, do... though, it's it's not just us. It's not just like, oh, the, the talk radio public out there lo- loves to do this. They can't just enjoy it. Gary Lineker said yesterday, we might have been witnessing, this is a quote from him on Twitter. He said, we might have been witnessing a changing of the guard. 
um, with Mbappe doing that with Messi on the same field. Oh, what's so- happened? What's happened already, Andrew, is that we're the the changing of the guard in, in media and in memes and in on social has been that it's now Mbappe and Haaland who we'll get to, mm-hmm. and they've suddenly overnight taken over from Ronaldo and Messi. That might be true, but there's only one real test to see if Haaland and Mbappe will now occupy the same space in the consciousness of the public as Ronaldo and Messi have. Do you know what that test is called, Andrew? I don't. Andrew, it's called the Rothenberg test. The Rothenberg test is the ordinary suburban guy who's not really interested in soccer, but when he hears a soccer conversation, will make the following statement. You see that guy, Holland? Huh? What about that? Wow, uh-huh. he, he tears the cover off that ball. Huh? So the Rothenberg test is based on a colleague of ours who um, has limited interest in or knowledge in soccer but tries to make conversation with us based on whatever is front and center in the soccer world. So it's usually, which do you prefer, Ronaldo or Messi? What about Pele? You know, these are the conversations. The Rothenberg test is when he comes up and he goes, what about Mbappe? Is he the new thing now? Huh? Uh, you're right. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Unfortunately, it takes years for that to happen. Like Mbappe is 22 right now. And by the time he passes the Rothenberg test, he'll probably have to be around 28. Right. Like, I almost feel like he won his World Cup too early. He was so off the radar. Like, of the soccer, of the soccer world, he, he was a known star already at that age. But to pass the Rothenberg test, it happened too soon. He's not, we need a guy who's on the radar and then wins a World Cup. Okay, gotcha. All right. So it's going to take a while, I think. He's got to be on the cover of FIFA. Because oh, like that's how like the the those people their kids then buy the video game then so they see them on the cover like those kinds of things have to happen. But I, I like test. Uh, Rothenberg's son is a is a good soccer player and loves yeah. soccer. So I think I think he's definitely already telling his dad who is shouting at the TV about the Giants trying to get him to get him an Mbappe jersey. I would think. <laughs> but but this whole thing to bring up about like the Messi's, the Ronaldo's, the Mbappe's, Holland. I'm not even necessarily bringing this up. Uh, with like those kind of goal scoring comparisons of one to the other. I'm not necessarily bringing it up to try to compare them specifically. I think all I'm trying to do is put into context just how amazing this guy is. No, I understand what and you're how, doing. Like, it, it's not about who's better. Will he be the next? It's just like, we need to appreciate this because he's doing things that even those guys were having a hard time doing. I don't care what league he's in. Like you said, we, he's done it in the World Cup and he's done it in the Champions League. So I- like we have to just like it can't just be about oh but he's only in league up uh, put put that aside he's the real deal appreciate this no I, I'm with you on that and it, it's it's just me with a little bit of, of of fatigue as well from having spent the last decade watching I suppose people fight over over yeah. over Messi and Ronaldo and 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 I'm the guy in the middle saying you know we should probably just enjoy them both while we have them yeah. Um, a couple other things about this before we move on. The uh, I was a little bit surprised, JJ, that the official was it the official Champions League account or was it like the CBS Champions League account? They tweeted the uh, the interaction, like on field cursing. Yeah, between, it was the CBS Champions League account. Yeah, between Gerard Piquet and Antoine Griezmann. 
Now, the first thing to say is that this kind of talk on a soccer field is regular. Yes. Um, uh, oxygen fatigue in soccer when you when you're absolutely when you're being ch- chasing a game and trying to get the ball and get you get ratty, you get very very ratty. So this kind of thing is is not unusual, but it, I I still think it's worth worth uh, you know reading from it. And um, I would like to do it audition style if that's okay. Oh. oh I would like to be okay. uh, Gerard Piquet, hmm. and you should be Antoine Griezmann. Your love of of soccer and of Uruguay makes you Antoine Griezmann. Well, his initials are AG, so I feel like it just works. Yeah, and 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 uh, I would like to be PK. I would like his life in in many regards. I think he's a, a lucky man, but well, maybe not so lucky this week <laughs> because he's become absolutely posterized by Kylian Mbappe. Well, but I shall begin. He's, he's a meme now. Ah, what an amazing photo, though the the photo of him just trying to grab onto the jersey of Kylian Mbappe is it's, iconic. It's definitely the photo of if I were an 11-year-old kid in Paris, that would be a poster on my wall. For sure. Absolutely. Um, it's iconic. It's a moment. So I'll be PK. Let's keep the effing ball longer. Chill. F that, Greasy. No, MFR. We're <laughs> suffering. We've been pinned back for five minutes. in hell. We're running like crazy. Don't yell at me, MFR. I'm suffering as well. And I'm running like crazy. And scene. Sweetie, darling, Andrew, Andrew, I, I, I wasn't was feeling too that. too much? I, went, I, I gave it too much, didn't no, I? No, I, I need you to be, Griezmann. Okay, so what I need you to do is, is uh, go and drink some mate, uh, mm-hmm. read about Uruguay, and pretend you're from Uruguay while you play for France. That would be great, sweetie, darling. Is that how you think directors talk to their actors? Oh, the, the lovely Sweetie, English- doll? The lovey English director from the past. Sweetie, darling, that was great. But more energy, please. More energy. We should we should really go the Daniel Day-Lewis route on this and go... Like, you should just now be Gerard Piquet for the next week. I'll be Griezmann. That's how we'll just behave in our lives. And then we'll come back next week and we'll do it again. And I think we'll do a much better job. You know, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded we still haven't watched the Barcelona documentary that is, narrate, that is narrated by uh, John Malkovich. <laughs> I will how have we not watched that yet? Such an odd choice. Yeah. The, but Ben Kingsley was an odd choice for Spurs too, don't you think? But, but I'm just thinking of like their voices. Yeah. Ben Kingsley's voice is sensational. Malkovich's Malkovich, voice is just he elicits yeah, like these images of I don't know. It's just it's not this it's not the soundtrack that I would put to Barcelona. Well, maybe now you would. You could use the line from uh what's that? Um Con Air. The flies around my your rotting corpse. Back to this interaction though between PK and Griezmann. You're, you're right. This happens all the time, so I don't think it's a huge deal. Having said that, if you are a PSG player on the field and you are witnessing this happen, the boost that that must give you. Oh yeah. I mean, you must start thinking, "Oh my God, we've we've broken them." Yeah, and, and uh, w- w- Liverpool learned uh, they did their research prior to the semi final that they they switch off on corner kicks. Well, they were very much switched off on that corner kick. It, they were in full conversation on that corner kick. Uh, this is quite a regular thing, but uh, it's so great to be able to hear it. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show you that the fake crowd noise, we don't need it. There's enough going on. Uh, I've heard you say that before. I've never, I've never fought back on that. Um, I, I think I will fight back on that today, though. Like, I know that the lack of crowd noise produced this moment, but, like, how hundreds upon hundreds of games have gone by 
and the lack of crowd noise has given us nothing more than just like 90 minutes of, hey, oh, hey, oh no, no, no. It, it doesn't do anything. Like, no, to for the, once in a while, we'll get this where you'll actually hear no, an interesting interaction. Disagree. But Dis- months have gone by of yelling, disagree. man on. Disagree. We had the clap and Lampard. Yeah, that was how. That was months. That was, that was last all, season. That was that was in the summer. That was awesome. That was absolutely awesome to hear them go at each other like like two guys in a playground. Brilliant. So I, I disagree with that. Also, we had the we had uh, the Bundesliga where you sit, you hear them in German accents when they score. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> I, I need that. I I think we can get that with also having the the fake crowd noise to f- help us feel comfortable. No, and cannot. not just have an awkward silence around a game. I'm 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 ready for fans to be back. Is what I'm saying. Okay. I want I want that. Well, I'm ready. I'm re- I agree with that. I'm ready for that. I've been uh, for ages. Let's see. You see any way back for Barcelona, or is this? Uh, do we this add this now to their growing catalog of bad Champions League defeats? Uh, right now, I don't don't see any way back. Um, four away goals. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, four away goals is right. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to picture it, and um, I don't think there'll be a remontada for this one. No, I uh, I, I can't. I just can't, I can't visualize it. Uh, let's move on then, JJ. Liverpool, their knockout stage campaign starts out beautifully, I think you'd have to say. Very much so, Andrew. Uh, I thought it was a good performance, uh, albeit uh, Leipzig had a few chances. And um, the the malaise of mistakes did not transfer from the weekend. In fact, it transferred and took up in the host body of Leipzig with Sabitzer and uh, Mukulele making the mistakes that they did. Wild... Was- Wildly bad mistakes. I was wondering if a certain line that had been peddled on last week's or, or Monday's, this week's podcast, um, that a, a certain J.J. Devaney had essentially tweeted out after the Leicester City loss. I wonder if in a parallel universe, a, uh, a, a German, a young German boy in the city of Leipzig was maybe tweeting out about Liverpool, the old, you didn't beat me, I lost. Line. Yeah, I mean, okay. Which, by the way, I, I think thinking more about it from this past week, I think it's a line that has to go into the older brother Hall of Fame. Oh, definitely, absolutely. Like it's it's it would be over the doorway into the older brother Hall of Fame. You didn't yeah. beat me, I lost. And the in Latin, and on the coat of arms, <laughs> the coat of arms of the other older brother Hall of Fame would be somebody getting a dead arm, a fist, and a shoulder, dead arm. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 this game, I thought Liverpool, I thought Liverpool were good. Leipzig still created chances. I mean, they should have opened the scoring uh, when Trent Alexander-Arnold channeled the spirit of Aaron Wan-Bissaka and forgot about Angelino, <laughs> and um, he gets a cross in. Uh, but equally, Trent Alexander-Arnold, um, I can't remember who had the header off the post. In fact, it's very hard to remember who was playing striker for Leipzig because that is an area that they really struggled in. Uh, and even well, when Kunku was up top, uh, I'm trying to remember yeah. who it was that was next to him. I mean, they were in a four-four-two, I believe. They, yeah, but they they weren't very they weren't very effective. Um, and um, even when um, when Wang came on, and I'm a big fan of his. I mean, that was a huge chance. Mm-hmm. The ball played through by Tyler Adams was absolutely perfect, and uh, that was a real chance for them to to at least leave some life in this tie. And uh, he 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 pushed it past the post. But I thought Liverpool were very good. Um, there was there was times you see that is 
Liverpool haven't been like they haven't stank the place out over the over this difficult period. Like you'd never look at one game and think, oh, everything's off. No, no, no. It's like system the, the it's the system is working. The way Liverpool playing is working. It's just when the meltdown happens to one individual, it spreads like a virus. Um, as 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 we saw against Leicester at the weekend. So good performance, solid performance. Well, this, um, I don't know, Are you? is that an Allison reference? Because this run of, of poor form for Liverpool went beyond his meltdowns. Mm. I mean, for, for weeks now, how, JJ, weeks ago, we were saying that Liverpool, are they had seemingly become incapable of scoring more than one goal in a game. Right, but they, I think what was happening was, but like, gener- but what I'm saying is, it wasn't like, the, oh my God, they didn't get a kick in that game. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have any of the ball. What was happening was they were like getting the ball to a certain area and then they couldn't convert. They couldn't score. Something was off. Um, and I and I think in the last couple of games, certainly like the West Ham United game, even the Leicester defeat, you could say, God, we weren't so bad for, you know, we certain things were working. Maybe right at the end, it didn't quite work out, but like we, we weren't that far out. And I thought in this game that was a, against Leipzig, I thought Liverpool were pretty good. They created chances. Um, but but again, I will say this, you know, Alisson's. Allison's mistake at the weekend can be now filed as an aberration. When you see the save he came up with at nil-nil just after halftime, like if Leipzig go one up, maybe maybe we're having a different conversation here. You know, maybe things go the way of the of the Brighton game. Maybe they go the way of the Leicester game. Or, but um, but it was a brilliant save to deny. I can't remember who it was. But really, really good save from Allison. And uh, look, Liverpool looked looked good. They looked good. Uh, the goals were handed were handed to them for sure. But um, I don't know. I felt I felt good about this performance. This sounds to me like someone talking themselves into something big. No, 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 no. Because, um, like Jurgen Klopp said after the game, we're not children. You know, he oh. said we know we know that one good result and everything isn't fixed. Think how people felt after we easily put uh, put away West Ham. What was it? Three nil. See the results after that: defeat to Brighton, defeat to Leicester, defeat Every- to C- defeat to City. Every game is its own season. Every, I think um, that's actually a pretty good one in these times. Yeah, there's almost, I mean, honestly, like we see that all the time where the correlation oftentimes from one match to the next is, is non-existent. Yeah. So you kind of just have to take each one of these and in, in within its own context, I, which good, for Liverpool, this is, this is very good. They needed good, this. Allison needed it. Trent needed it. Right. This is important. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. That, I really like that one. Every game is its own season. Uh, so Liverpool 2-0 up as they will head back to Anfield for the second leg. So you'd have to feel good about them, certainly. That was that was disappointing for, for Leipzig. But we they seen probably the... they uh, coming off of last year's run, uh, they probably thought that you know they were gonna kick on and, and do some things. And this this was a disappointment for them. Yeah, I thought they'd target our, our fullbacks a bit more, especially after the early joy they had. And that didn't happen. They kind of got a little bit overran in midfield, and the mistakes, Andrew, were Remember, I know they beat United in Leipzig quite comfortably, but people forget they got they shipped five goals at Old Trafford, and this kind of much lauded defense anchored by Upamecano was ripped apart down the center. I'm surprised at how soft they are down the center, and that's something that um, Nagelsmann, the very fashionable Nagelsmann, will have to figure out. Uh, let's see, JJ Borussia Dortmund. 
They fight back from a goal down early on, and they beat Sevilla 3-2. Love this Uh, game. Yeah, impressive fight back from Dortmund after a not-so-great start. And we talked about Mbappe before, and obviously, like you had mentioned, uh, Mbappe and Holland seem to now be the two names on the tip of everybody's tongue. Um, He's. uh, I saw this from Fabrizio Romano. He tweeted that Holland has now played 42 games for Dortmund and has scored 42 goals. That is... That is the kind of average that you like to see from your striker. He also has 18 goals in 13 Champions League games, which is which is ridiculous. Um, Only Robert Lewandowski has scored more goals than the Norwegian in the competition since the start of last season. And this guy is how old? He's like he's a is child. He, he's not 21 yet, is he? No, I don't think so. I'll double check. We should know that right right off the top of our heads. Um, um, Andrew, which, he he's like a combination of um, Gabriel Batistuta and the Brazilian Ronaldo. Like he's strong and powerful, but he's got Brazilian Ronaldo's lovely touch and his, his quick feet. Like for the first goal, the, the equalizer after the Suso opener for Sevilla, his brilliant wor- uh, feet to work himself into a situation to find a pass for Dahoud who, who bends. I mean, it's been a great week for curling shots into the top corner. Um, and then uh, he picks up the ball, drives at the defense for the second goal, one-two with Bellingham and beats Bono to the ball for the finish. So that's kind of like a classic Van Nistelrooy finish, you know, getting being brave and getting to the ball before the goalkeeper. And then Rakitic gives it away for the third in midfield. Roy slides Haaland in, and you know he's going to score. Opens his body out, cam as you like, far corner with the inside of his boot. Um, it's brilliant. But the best moment of the game, a friend of mine texted him, and he said, do you just see the way he whacked that ball? There's a ball that drops to him. Uh, now, Bono makes the save, but instead of taking it on, Andrew, he just rips the ball, just smashes it, and it nearly drives Bono back into the net. Like, like he hits the ball so cleanly. That's why he reminds me of, of Batistuta. He's absolutely class. He's the he, best center forward in the world right now. Wow, that is that is truly high praise. He's 20 right now. He'll be 21 in July. Skill set-wise, he's got just everything. I think you touched on it a little bit, but I think the thing for me with him that is so amazing is you see his size. He's six four, and he looks every bit of that six four. He's got yeah. big appendages, like his arms are long, like he's appendages. just he's just like a big man. <laughs> he's a big guy. Yeah. Um, so you you see a guy like that, and you kind of you kind of expect him to play a certain way as a center forward, just like not lumbering necessarily, but not necessarily a guy who is going to burn you with speed. He's deceptively fast. Yeah. He's incredibly quick. But that's what I mean. He's like he's like Ronaldo, uh, Brazilian Ronaldo, World yeah. Cup 98 Ronaldo. Just uh, a physical specimen, really quick feet, and he will once he takes off running, he, you're gone. There was a <laughs> an amazing piece. I can't remember which goal it was. It may have been the second or the third the third goal. Diego Carlos, who I'm I don't know. I, I fall in and out of love with him as a defender every every, every time I see him. Um, sometimes he's good. Sometimes he's uh, just, I don't think he's even good enough for this level. But he sees Haaland pick up the ball and turn. <laughs> and instead of like, you know, going to face him or engage him or or face the defender and like backtrack, shuffle on his feet, he just turns and runs toward the goal because he's like, this is the safe space. You know, he he absolutely terrifies defenders. Yeah, this was one of those performances from him and from Borussia Dortmund as a whole where you sometimes, you kind of watch him and you think like, why is this not translating domestically? Why are they yeah. struggling so much? Yeah, they, I mean, they've, they've announced that they're they're going to uh, have a new manager 
um, the Borussia Mönchengladbach manager who's going to come in because they've had an interim since um, since Christmas. Um, they're a weird team. They're, they're a very strange team. You look at some of the constituent parts, Bellingham, good young player, skillful player, Jaden Sancho, uh, Haaland. You see Max Hummels at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they were unlucky on the goal, in fairness. But, the, but they, Andrew, they couldn't get out of this game with a 3-1. They couldn't do it. They somehow, someone misses their assignment to pick up uh, Luke de Jong at the back post. You know, that was a really cheap goal to give away and, and, and to give Sevilla any glimmer of hope, even though I think Dortmund are going through. But they're, they're such, they're a careless side. When, whenever I watch them, and I will admit I do not watch an awful lot of them, or not enough anyway, because for the players they have, they are enjoyable, but they're careless, so careless. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if you can almost excuse that a little bit to their youth. Like that's just sort of the model of that club. And oftentimes it works brilliantly for them because they get these young players in who are superstars at young ages. They make tons of money when they sell them on um, and they kind of continue to work that model. I know they have guys like Matt Hummels, who's a veteran star player, but you know, sometimes you talk about so many guys under the age of 23, maybe those types of players as great as they yeah. can be are also a little bit more likely to have kind of moments where they shut down as well. Well, Marco Rose is going to come in and he's going to have to address all that um, from Mönchengladbach. And uh, this was the statement from um, from Borussia Mönchengladbach Supporters Club. Whoever sees a derby as an ideal time for experiments does not understand Borussia Mönchengladbach. Um, and Marco Rose had made seven changes ahead of the recent uh, Rhineland derby. Um, yeah. It it was a in Germany. This is a normal thing for a manager to go in the middle of a of a season, or, or not to go, but to announce that he's going, but he's also staying on, yeah, kind weird. of thing. Um, he's forty four. Uh, he's done a great job at Mönchengladbach. He's got a big job on at, at Dortmund. Uh, and then, last but not least, JJ FC Porto defeating Juventus two one. They scored in the first minute of the game on a terrible mistake by Juve, bad, lazy back pass to the keeper, um, to Chesney, and, and it was powered in by Taremi. And, like, boy, just watching some of these games, Leipzig, uh, this one, like, it, you just – sometimes you expect these teams that are in the knockout stage of the Champions League to just kind of be sound fundam- fundamentally and and while also being great. And it, they're just not. Like, if, if you could just eliminate dumb mistakes, it's amazing how much better off so many teams would be. But it's – I guess it's – just part of the sport you can't do that uh, yeah it's also paid for it it's also part of the evolution of the sport we saw messier for uh leads at the weekend this idea that you know what we will take the risk of passing out and i wonder you know if you had a crowd in the stadium there where you can feel the tension off them are you much more inclined to boot it rather than just an empty vacuous stadium where you're like making these risky choices it's a great question i would say that we saw these things happen with stadiums full of people of course i know and that's because they're playing out from the back part but i wonder are our goalkeepers have they a more heightened realization of the dangers if 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 there's a crowd there you know it's just that that interplay between the crowd and the and the player you uh you had tweeted as these games were getting ready to kick off the, yeah. the dortmund sevilla and the porto juve you had tweeted that in terms of like, which one is everyone going to be watching that Dortmund Sevilla was the obvious choice. Yeah. Interesting. I'm wondering if you got, what kind of feedback you got from that? Oh, it, it was mostly from the, um, the U S Stan accounts that, uh, well, you have to watch McKinney start. I mean, like, no, you don't. Can you, are you not 
safe enough to in your own footballing brain to realize the entertaining game is not going to be Porto Juventus. The, the best game is going to be the one involving Borussia Dortmund. Like it's okay. Weston McKinney can you can watch the highlights and you can enjoy McKinney there or not, depending on how he plays. It's the same people who got upset that uh, it was pointed out that Serginho Dest may not have had a great game against, you know, PSG. It happens. You know, we've got these players at top level now. They're not going to be brilliant in every single game. And there were mitigating circumstances for Dest. It's just, I don't know, it's just so childish. It was not a great week for the uh, the young Americans. McKinney was whatever he was subbed off i think in the 63rd yeah but he's not uh, gonna be brilliant every game no of course not of course not i'm not criticizing him I'm just saying it, this wasn't like a banner week you know uh yep. reina didn't play no. um we we saw with dest where it was i don't know some people will say it wasn't all his fault Others no will it say definitely it was not a great performance um tyler adams treaded a lovely ball if if i mean which everyone i haven't seen many replays across social media of that ball that was unbelievable Talk about threading the needle to Wang. If he scores there, we're 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 gushing over it. So, yeah. yeah. But uh, but Juventus, I guess maybe a little bit, even though it was on the road, perhaps a little bit of a surprise to be down two one. It's interesting, JJ. We're talking about the uh, the changing of guards or whatever, and uh, both Ronaldo and Messi will be heading into their second legs of the round of sixteen trailing. They'll need to fight back. Ronaldo's a little more doable, I would think, going back to Turin. Messi's feels like a mountain to climb. Hmm. Uh, yeah. That is about it for this week at the Champions League. We still have a couple other things that we're going to cover here before we get out. Um, one other thing I did want to mention, JJ, to everybody listening to this podcast, I want to give a quick recommendation for an upcoming podcast, not of ours, but of ESPN Dailies, because tomorrow or on Friday, uh, they're going to be, uh, I believe Sam Borden is going to be the guest on it. And he's doing, um, he's done a feature on what happened with Atalanta last year, specifically Atalanta and the city of Bergamo. And you and I, I think, talked about this uh, last summer. Yeah, there was an article written in, I I think it was the New York Times describing this as like game zero or, you know, this massive super spreader event, uh, one of the last games in the regular times. And then, like, over the following few days and weeks, we saw how Bergamo in that area was absolutely crushed by deaths and... um, I remember somebody tweeted out a video of one of the Bergamo newspapers being opened and there being 30, 30 something pages of, of obituaries. Just the, the strange thing. uh, I've listened to a few clips of it and Sam talks about the passion and the, the joy of this little town and um, little city rather. And um, for their football club, and then this disaster that w- that that came upon them, and the and the links between it and the supporters and the crowd and 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 everything. Um, so I'm I'm really interested to see what Sam's done uh, with this piece, and uh, I can't f- I can't wait to listen to it. Yeah, it was the full. sad. It was kind of the sad tragedy of the moment because you had Atalanta, this relatively small club, experiencing the sort of success that they probably never even yeah. dreamed to be possible, and yet through that success, it had created. Um, this essentially a, a super spreader of an event for the beginning of COVID in Italy. Yeah. And, and Italy, Europe. Italy with such a high uh, number of people over a certain age, a, a big elderly population and, and what that did to the surrounding region. And that's why, you know, it was so heartbreaking. Uh, this team held the, ex- the expectations and, the, and, and very much the joy of a, of a city when they went to play PSG and for them to lose so late in that game. Yeah. 
I mean, it added, it's what Atalanta did last year is an incredible story. And the backdrop or not, not even the backdrop, the everything of what happened with COVID and the way it impacted that region of Italy. It's amazing. I'm looking forward to what Sam's done with it. Yeah, here is a clip, by the way, uh, a little preview for you of what you'll be getting with the full podcast on Friday's ESPN Daily. This was uh, one of the fans who I believe is actually from New York, but an Italian um, who is an Atalanta fan who had traveled to the game and then throughout Europe for work and and sort of talking about the experience of being a part of that and how uh, this fan base was perceived in the aftermath. You know, people from Italy look at us like bad people. You know, like the people that go around to spread the sickness, but we didn't know. I am probably one of the examples because uh, two weeks later I started to be weak. And when I was when I came back in New York, I I was hospitalized in NYU Langone with uh, COVID. How do you feel about your experience in the stadium that night? And do you think that that's where you got COVID? <sighs> I cannot, I don't know, because in that moment, uh, no mask, no test, nothing. After that match, I was, uh, I went to London for days for job. Then I went to Barcelona for job. And then I went, then I come back to New York. So personally speaking, maybe yes, maybe no. So interesting stuff. That's ESPN Daily on Friday. Uh, be sure to check that out. Um, Sam Borden did a really, a really great job with a kind of a sad and, and fascinating story. So yeah, check that out wherever you get your, uh, your podcast should be there and should be good. Uh, a few other things, JJ, before we get to the mailbag, amongst all the Champions League midweek action, there was some Premier League action as well. Manchester City and Everton highlighting the, uh, the midweek slate. 3-1 Manchester City and Yet again, another manager has now stepped forward to proclaim the title race over. That was Carlo Ancelotti. Um, he basically said afterward that it was imp- they were impossible to play against. I mean, the, the the praise that is now being put upon this Manchester City team, it's like we have to almost turn back the clock to how to, to the Manchester City teams from a couple years ago that we thought, you know, were just this level up from everyone else. And it feels like after maybe a year where that slipped, they're right back to being that team again. And this is without Gundogan and uh, Kevin De Bruyne. So scary. Yeah. It's uh, it's frightening, but uh, you know what? It's, it's nothing without, you know, they should have given them Carlo Ancelotti's right. The trophy should have been handed over at Goodison Park the other night and just be done with it, you know? So that's where we're at now. It is where we're at. And, um, you know, you can you can blame a lot of people. You can blame the 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 bad champions for what's happened for not having another title race. You can also blame the flaccid Manchester United for putting themselves in position and then complete completely pooping their pants. Um, you can blame the tremendous character of Leicester for being good, but not that good enough. So seventeen straight wins in all competitions for Manchester City. It's incredible. It's incredible that they are they are this machine that feels unstoppable. I don't know if it comes down to what you said that there's just a lack of quality opposition around them, or if it is that they are well, really that's that not, great, or I'm, if it's both. It it's it, it's also they've assembled one of the finest squads over the past six years in in European football. That is uh, that is a part of it too. 
Yep. A uh, couple other things as well. Chelsea with an important win. I know you had talked about them as maybe being the dark horse, hard charging team that next thing you know, finishes second at the end of the season. They are coming up the straight. Uh, they, I mean, the bad champions and flaccid United better watch out because uh, Tuchel's men are on the march, Andrew. But like, I haven't really watched that much of them. A couple of games since, since Tuchel took over, but <laughs> all of the journalists that go to the games, like, on mass, I've just said how you can notice the difference in the way that this team plays, in the formation, in the um, in the execution of what they're trying to do. It's so dramatically different from the kind of let's throw eleven guys out and hope for the best that uh, Lampard was doing. Uh, Timo Werner scored. That was important. I'm sure Chelsea fans were minutes, desperate to it? see that. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Christian Pulisic did not play. I wonder mm. at what point we'll begin peddling the narrative that Thomas Tuchel hates Americans. Uh, we had an email. <laughs> we had an email this morning already panicking about uh, Pulisic, but I can't. I just, I can't do it. I can't start this right now. Uh, I don't know. Something's going on there. We have to see how it plays out. Uh, and then West Ham remaining JJ in that battle for a top four spot very you, quietly. Three nil win. You got to think at some point that uh, David Moyes is going to be. Uh, He's going to be in the frame for one of the top jobs. <laughs> I mean, look, he's got to be under. I said this weeks ago, and I'll say it again. He has to be under serious consideration for manager of the season. Yeah. the uh, it. You know what? It's great to see him do what he's doing because we all remember the stories that like at, at Sociedad, um, you know, where he didn't speak Spanish and, and things didn't go well there. And then Sunderland. That was a bit of a debacle too. It never really worked out for him. You know, everything since United has been just not good. And now he gets a second chance with West Ham. And um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm happy he's doing well. I don't pat myself on the back really ever. Um, no, you know what, you, you know what you, I think of myself. No, you whip yourself. The right. flagellation is strong. Of However, self. I do think when we, at the end of the season, when we go back and we rehash what our preseason predictions were, I think I, I was most, of all the things I said, I was most right about West Ham. Most right. So far, I have, that is the thing that I was most correct on. And okay. I'm proud of that. And I'm going to pat myself on the back for it. We have a mailbag, JJ. Before we, we get to before oh. we before we get to the mailbag, and this won't take long. Uh, Thierry Henry is in line for the Bournemouth job. Bournemouth, who are sixth in the table, uh, they are just kind of hovering there outside the the playoff um, positions. Um, the Guardian are reporting the Cherries are keen to make the former Arsenal man their manager. Um, Twenty wins in fifty-seven games for Montreal and MLS so far, 30 losses. Why are they so keen? This does not, I... when you see what they did with Eddie Howe, um, or what Eddie Howe did with them, rather, you, you wonder, this would be a departure to appoint Thierry Henry. Yeah. Is this trying to win the press conference? One of those hirings, a big name that looks good in, in lights that the fan base will... Whether they're skeptical or not, seeing Terry Henry put on a Bournemouth jacket mm. will excite a fan in a way that maybe they weren't expecting, I'm sure. But but they're putting him in in position to be in the playoffs, Andrew. Are you trusting this guy with, with your playoff push? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know either. 
And uh, the last thing, uh, Arsenal CEO uh, Vinay Venkat Isham uh, described social media racism as football's biggest problem. Hmm. He, he was at a, um, a, a summit for the Financial Times about business and football. And uh, this line stood out to me. How can you explain to a black footballer that if a piece of pirated content goes up on social media, it is taken down within minutes, but that is not the same for racist abuse. Wow. It's a really, uh, really good point. Yeah. Um, we've been the victim of a Twitter crackdown on anything even close to Premier League highlights or any, any highlights whatsoever. If you tweet a GIF, even if, even if it's from uh, available from like the Twitter's GIFs, own library. Yeah, we got we got sent uh, one of our we've had two strikes already against us. And one of them was because we tweeted Sam Allardyce from three years ago, a gif of him making a face when, yeah, he was you know, Chris you know I, I've been meaning to talk about this because you do all of our tweeting, mm. which I applaud you for. You do you're relentless. You do a great job. You're every game you're tweeting about. And I appreciate it. Uh, however, all of our Twitter and social media is set up under my name and email accounts. Right. Okay. So your recklessness is going to probably get me fired from my job one day. Well, I hope it does because that interjection was not helpful whatsoever. The point being is we're on two strikes from these guys for doing stuff that they've sanctioned really themselves from their own gift library. But again, um, you keep, I interjected because you keep saying we, we, we. It's oh, really me that's going to bear the brunt of this. I'm going to be oh, the one called into an office that has to answer for this. All right. Um, but yeah, in, in the week where James McLean has kind of spoke out about the daily social media abuse he gets and 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 I don't know, man. Uh, uh, Venkat Isham kind of went on to say that football, fo he's, he's, Venkat Isham put football and Instagram's negotiations at kind of the vanguard of solving this problem, which is very interesting to me. Um, if football and Instagram and- what is and, What is the negotiation exactly? What is the other side of it? Well, how do you stop it is the question. How do you police it? Like the, the social media, I, I would say they're going to be very reluctant to, to get rid of anonymous sites or anonymous account holders. Uh -huh. um, so what happens then? How is it policed that it's not also interfering with freedom of speech and in this country, second um first amendment rights um there there is a there is a lot of negotiations to happen i suppose what football would say to them is if something racist gets up you've got is put up you've got to get to that account deal with that account immediately you know how did they do that right and i guess what i'm saying is i'm just surprised that there would be pushback on that but then again, I, I don't know the uh, ins and outs of this. I don't know either. All I know is that um, it was pretty strong statements from the Arsenal CEO there. Yeah. Football's biggest problem, he described it as. So there we are. Yeah. Um, Mail busy. Uh, pod at gmail.com is the email. ESPN on Instagram. Please follow us there. On our Twitter, at uh, SeoSoccerPod. Let's get that that lumbering thing to 10,000 followers, please. And then I'll stop. You'll never hear from me again. I'll be done. Jay, for the male busy, does Moise, uh, does Moise Keane require world-class players around him in order to perform? It's mind-boggling that the same player scoring against Barcelona in the Champions League was struggling for Everton against Fleetwood Town mere months ago in the Carabao Cup. Should Everton make a prop? Everton should make a profit on him, but does his lack of success in Blue Shark come down to his supporting cast 
or more of an attitude issue. Um, having world-class players around you is, as we've seen in a number of cases, elevates every player. That is a huge thing. Uh, I would also say he just like he, whether it's the supporting cast or Everton, whatever minutes, and they were minimal. I thought he'd get much more of a run under Ancelotti. Uh, it just didn't work out, and he looked lost, and he wasn't very good. So I don't know what went into that. Um, and it's unlikely he'll get back in considering the season Dominic Calvert-Loon has had. So um, I think Everton will, will make a little tidy transfer profit. He'll go to PSG. And, you think um, they'll make a profit? How much did they pay for Moise? I don't remember, but I don't imagine his value. Million? I'll have to go back and check, but I I would have a hard time believing that his value has increased. Uh, I don't know. I think ultimately... Oh, 36.6 million. I mean, you, th- you see him getting sold for more than that coming off mm-hmm. of a pandemic where you think maybe like... Well, PSG we'll be- are pandemic proof. Let's, let's uh, that's, remember that's that. But they'll have enough. to, you know, they're trying to keep within um, financial fair play. I, I think it's a couple things. It's definitely part of what you said. When you're playing alongside a guy like Kylian Mbappe and, and you know, you have players around you like Verratti, they're, they're so great that they're going to lift um, everyone else on the field. So that that is definitely some of it. And look, some of it too, Everton bought him off of a very, very limited sample size. I mean, he would. He came to Everton. Italian just, games mainly, but like even that. I, I, I mean, he played. So in the seventeen eighteen season, um, he was seventeen, and he had been loaned. He was at uh, Hellas Verona, where mm. he played. He started just twelve matches, played in nineteen total. Then he was recalled to Juve for the eighteen nineteen season. He played just in the league in Serie A. He played thirteen games and started five. And then he was sold on to Everton the next year. Hmm. So it was like, it was a lot of hype, a lot of praise and promise for this young player, but we didn't really know quite what he was going to be and what Everton were getting. So I think it was just a super raw product that they, that maybe just wasn't ready uh, for the Premier League. And that's understandable. And now he's in a league and on a team where he's maybe a little bit more comfortable and you know he's he's rewarded PSG for that. He's played well. 15 starts this season in the league, 10 goals. So props to him. Aaron Moran in Detroit. What did you guys make of referee Darren Drysdale essentially squaring off with an Ipswich Town player? I hear the FA are launching an investigation, but players scream and curse at referees all the time and nothing happens. <sighs> Boy, this is a tricky one. <laughs> because there are referees are heroic to me in the abuse that they are willing to take without blinking. Uh, So because that is their common demeanor, it's what we've come to expect from them. That's the expectation. They're going to do their job, be professional, take the abuse, go home, and then come back the next day and do it again. And that's just what's expected. Um, I'm almost surprised that this doesn't happen more because the way these guys are treated uh, is a problem. And I know league, the Premier League has has talked about trying to deal with this before, you know, where they outlawed things like surrounding the referee. Um, you know, I think they've allowed referees more freedom in, in giving out yellow cards for abuse towards them. 
I'm almost surprised that we don't see it more. And I saw Ian Dark tweeted. He said, obviously what ref Darren Drysdale did when squaring up to a player will bring a punishment. But bearing in mind his 25 years of service and contrition, a warning should suffice. We are all a bit stressed at the moment. It was heat of the moment. I think yeah. I think a rational person can relate to that sentiment. I, I think that's fair. Um, he's been removed. The um, Press Association is saying he's been Darren Drysdale has been removed from Saturday's League Two fixture between Southend and Bolton. The AFL has confirmed, and he's been charged with improper conduct by the Football Association. But I hope they 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 do take into account um, uh, the sentiment or the um, the feeling behind what um, Ian Dark said. I would agree with that. When I was when I was younger, JJ, I was sixteen. I was at a camp. Oh boy! And I played basketball all the time, and so I, I got to be close with like the head like basketball instructor. And there was a, a league, like every, every age group had like a basketball league. And so there was a younger division. I think these kids were, it was like the nine, 10 year old division and he needed a referee for it. And I was around. So he asked me if I would fill in and do oh, it. God. And so I said, yeah, sure. And <laughs> JJ, I could not believe in, in a competition with as minimal importance as this with kids who were as young as they were, I couldn't believe the things that they were saying to me, like, oh, yeah. I was totally stunned by it. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to be that ref who was just like, okay, technical foul. Oh, you won't want technical foul. Oh, you over there. Bang T all you, you're all go. Like, I wasn't going to be that guy, but by the same token, I was like, is this, this is really happening right now. That kid yeah. just said the F word to me. Like, Oh my God. I couldn't believe it. And so, and that's like, we're talking about the smallest of scales. Uh, and so I said to the guy afterwards, I was like, thank you for thinking of me. Don't ever ask me again. I'll never do this again. <laughs> I, it was, it was eye opening, And yeah, that it's... was like, again, like I'm not even trying to compare myself to these guys in, in, in truly professional arenas trying to deal with this. Like it's, it was, it's bad, man. It's bad. And, and for whatever reason, it's just kind of like accepted behavior that a player can curse and berate an official. Like, I don't know. It's a little bit strange to me. Uh, Dimitri, um, hey, I love the pod. Been listening since summer 2020, and it's always great to hear your guys' perspectives on soccer. Hoping to get mentioned in the mailbag here. Firstly, I think you two need to watch Psych, available on Amazon Prime. The best friend dynamic solving crimes is something I could see you guys liking a lot. Mm. I'm a big Panathinaikos fan, and we had a big win over Olympiakos over the weekend. In terms of a question, I want to know what you guys think of when someone says Greek soccer. Any specific team, player, story? Thanks a lot. Well, for me, um, Dimitri, and thanks for the for the kind words. It's straight away. It's Euro two thousand and four. Um, what the Greeks did to to Portugal in that tournament, beating them in the opening game, beating them them in the last game, um, beating. I mean, the Czech Republic. They they in that tournament. The Greeks, if memory serves, destroyed the golden generation of two nations, uh -huh. Portugal, because that was the last gasp for the Figos and for the um, uh, the Rui Costas, and the Czech Republic. That was, I mean, the Czech Republic haven't been the same since, have they? Not really. No. Um, like that. Yeah. So, so that's what I think of when when I think of Greek soccer. I've never been to a game, but I did go to Greece for my honeymoon, and we did drive by Olympiakos' stadium. So I always think of that moment. Yeah. Saying that to a Panathinaikos fan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah and, um, 
I remember, I, I think too of Janakopoulos, uh, uh, the player who, who joined uh, Bolton under Sam Allardyce. Sam Allardyce was putting together this crack team from across Europe with like JJ Okacha and uh, uh, Jorkayev. <laughs> and he had some unbelievable players for, for a team that played a rudimentary style. He had some great players in his team. And, Correct me uh, if I'm wrong, one, JJ. The uh, oh, Gerard, your beauty. That was against Olympiacos. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you knocked me off my train of thought. No, you haven't. Um, and uh, one of them was uh, Giannakopoulos, and he was for I think a season, season and a half, really, really good for Bolton. So that's what I think of when I think of the Greeks. And uh, finally, Arabella and San Antonio. Do you think the qu- situation with Garrett Bale at Spurs would have been different if there were fans in the stands? After all those years at a place where the fans didn't like it, I'd imagine it could have been a huge, didn't like him. Um, I could imagine it made a huge him- impact being back where the fans absolutely love him, where he can feel that love. And maybe just as importantly, see their disappointment if he didn't perform well or seem to care enough. What do you think? So I saw you sent this question to me earlier and I, I don't know. Like, I wish I had a more concrete answer. I really don't know. The only thing that I could think of as to why I don't think it would be different than what it is right now is because there aren't fans at training and Mourinho is not going to just hand Bale a spot. Like, that is abundantly clear. Hmm. So if Bale is training the way that he is, I don't think it's going to change Mourinho's mind. And Mourinho does not strike me as someone where if Bale's on the bench and the crowd is getting angry because they, you know, they see Lucas Mora coming in instead of Bale and they start chanting something at Mourinho or they start chanting Bale, Bale. Uh, Jose Mourinho does not strike me as somebody who is going to care and it's not going to influence his decision-making. So I just don't know if Bale would be getting a a different quantity of opportunity than what he's getting now. I I really don't know if it would make that much of a difference. Yeah. I'm curious of, you know, as to what difference crowds make to players, the way they react to motivation as well. I would love to know uh, if there's any data from like theater or the arts where actors, because essentially players are putting on a performance, whether actors struggle with, with small crowds or no crowds or, you know, what is the interplay between the two? Um, Cause I, I watch games and I, I see things like, I remember, in the, one of the early games back during the pandemic, Jack Grealish back healing a ball in his own penalty box. And I'm like, if there's a crowd there, you're not doing that, Jack. Everyone's on your back. Uh, or maybe he is. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I, well, I wonder, we'll never really know. Like, this is one of those weird things where we'll never quite know the impact that this has had on specific games. You're right. It's it's strange. Um, I'd like to think that Bale is, prof- is professional enough where he can still rise to whatever level he needs to be at Mm. Uh, whether or not there's anyone in the stadium. I would hope that that wouldn't make a difference, but he's human. So I I don't know. I really have no idea. I'm sorry. That was an answer that probably left that person completely empty inside. She hates, you know, so there you go. I understand. I understand. Uh, Well, I hope you didn't all hate this podcast. I thought this was fun. I thought this was quality work. Segway. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I enjoyed (laughs) this one. This was fun. Yeah, Champions League, baby. Back. Knockout stages. Uh, that about wraps this up. We've got a big weekend. Merseyside Derby, I think. Yeah, Saturday, uh, 12.30, which is a nice, that's a nice time. That's a good time. If you want your Saturday sleeping, you can have it. If you've got a few chores to do in the morning, whatever you can do in these strange, strange times. And then you get to sit down and watch the Merseyside Derby. There you go. 
that, that should be fun. Everton, God, would they love to have that? I mean, Liverpool. Uh, but yeah, fun, fun weekend of soccer coming up. Like I said, reminder to everybody out there, check out ESPN Daily tomorrow, uh, Friday. Sam Borden, a uh, really good piece about uh, what went on in Bergamo last year around the, the, the launch of COVID basically throughout Italy and Europe and possibly even into the United States. So uh, check that out as well. JJ, this was fun, man. To you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 